You're listening to another New Hope Chapel, New Hope Chapel podcast. podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening. Today you'll be hearing from Bill Smith, a member of our teaching team, as he continues our series called The Master. So before we start, as I always like to do, uh, I have to read this disclaimer to you. This non-copyrighted sermon is not the property of the National Football League. Therefore, any rebroadcast or reproduction of said sermon without the consent of the NFL is really no big deal. They don't care. Neither do I, so go ahead and rebroadcast. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, we come to you now, our hearts filled with joy, filled with, uh, at least mine, filled with emotion, and mostly filled with your presence, because we know that you inhabit the praise of your people. So we come to you needing you to teach us, to open our minds, to gain knowledge and understanding, opening our hearts to gain wisdom so that by being here today in your presence with each other, we would forever be changed. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake. So I'm going to make this real easy today. I am just making one point today. I don't have three points, I only have one. I'm going to make it several different ways. But basically the point is, as his disciples, we were made for more than this. And by that, I don't mean that I'm going to chew you out because you're not doing good enough. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite. You're doing great. You are exactly where God wants you to be right now. But there's also more in store for us. You see, to become a disciple, you had to show the rabbi that you had the potential to think like the rabbi thinks and to live like the rabbi lived. And so as the disciples that Jesus has accepted us as his disciples because he thinks that we can live the way that he lived. And so as I thought about what I wanted to talk about today with regard to our passage in this series on on Jesus as master, I, I got thinking about how we develop. It's always been an interest of mine of how we develop intellectually, how we develop emotionally and spiritually and physically. And I've studied this over the years, and I've seen that even though there's never any linear kind of approach to developing as a Christian, there seem to me to be sort of four stages. Now, I know, I know, Scott, that you've said before you have a hard time listening to me sometimes, and I know last week you said you hate process, but I'm going to talk about process today. <laughs> Sorry. You can go get a cup of coffee if you want to <laughs> and pray for me. I remember being introduced to Christianity in Sunday school. How many of you went to Sunday school as little kids? And you had the, the Bible stories and the flannel graphs and all those kind of things. And, and you had this idea that there's some other being somewhere and he sent his son for some reason and his name was Jesus. And it reminds me of the story about the Sunday school teacher who started that class by saying, now boys and girls, what's brown and furry and runs up down the trees? And the little boy raises his hand and he says, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the right answer is Jesus. Okay. So last week, when Scott gave us that pop quiz on who in the Old Testament called God I Am, I was getting ready to say, a squirrel. I knew it was a squirrel. <laughs> Fortunately, someone else said Moses. So this basic introduction then sort of sticks with us in terms of how we imagine God. So last week, Beth and I took what we call number one and number two, because we can't remember all their names. But it was Leah, Liam and Eva. That, you know, see, I can't even say these names. I'm already. And we saw this uh, Legos movie. How many of you have seen this movie yet? 
it's a good movie. We really, it was much more than we thought it would be. And there's this guy, a master builder called Vitrinius. All the master builders in the movie are actually named after famous architects. And Vitrinius, in the beginning of the movie, shares a prophecy about a special one who's going to come someday, a master builder, who will be able to handle the peace of resistance. And at that point, looking at this guy, making this kind of prophecy about a special one who will come someday, Liam, who's sitting next to me, he leans over to me and he says, Poppy, is this about God? And I got exactly what he was talking about, is God is sort of a Lego piece. I mean, even still to Justin to this day, God is still something to do with Lego pieces, okay? And so that's sort of the phase one or stage one. And, and some people, that's all that ever happens and they never really get to know God. But for many people, we come to what I think of as basic Christianity, where we begin to realize we have a need we can't fulfill on our own. We're in a bad situation. And we come to the foot of the cross, realizing we have put Jesus on the cross, and he is up there to substitute himself for our sins. And we begin to live this life where we have asked Jesus into our lives, and we experience him and know him as Jesus as Savior. And for many people, that's where they live the rest of their lives, knowing they got out, a free, uh, got, out a free, uh, got out of jail free card. And they continue to live and sort of think the way they used to. But God doesn't give up on us, does he? He starts to sanctify us. He continues to pursue us. And then we might move into stage two or advanced Christianity, where we, we give our life to him. We start to learn how to trust him for every little thing in our lives. I started to learn that, that Jesus is a much better husband to my wife than I can be, so I start to trust him for that. He's a much better dad than I can be, so I trust him for that. And I'm still finding places in my life where I'm learning to trust Jesus to do this for me and through me, and I'm living here for the most part, and many of you are probably in this same place. But there's more than that that's possible begin to realize that Jesus wants even more than that. He's very possessive, isn't he? <laughs> He's looking for us to enter into an intimate relationship with him, where the focus of our life becomes pursuing, understanding, and knowing him in an intimate way, where we see him not just as Savior, not just as Lord. I say that just like it's no big deal. But what I mean by that is he wants to also be a friend to us. He even says, doesn't he, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friend. This is what we're working on right now in Men in Christ on Tuesday nights, in case you guys didn't realize that. That's what we've been talking about, okay, is how to find this level of relationship with the Lord. There's even a graduate level Christianity, which I'm nowhere near, where Jesus says, you will someday say to this mountain, get up and throw yourself into the sea, and it will do so. He is a master over nature. And that's what we want to talk about today. And as his disciples, he thinks that we can live the way he lived. So this is our passage I want to read together from John 6, 16. Let's read together. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat... And Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. 
So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So here's a passage where Jesus is demonstrating his mastery over nature. There are several places where he does this. You might remember the story when the disciples were out in the boat and Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat on a cushion. And a storm stirs up. And they get upset. They get afraid. And they really kind of get upset with Jesus. And they wake him up like, come on, what is your problem? Don't you care about us? So he gets up and he rebukes the wind. And he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? I think he still asks us that question sometimes. Why are we so afraid? Do we still lack faith? Because that's not what he gave us. He didn't come here to make us afraid. The scriptures tell us God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of... I can give pop quizzes too, Scott. Power, love, and a sound mind. That's what you already have. The wind obeyed him. Trees obeyed him. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. Now, if you read about this and you read the theologians and commentaries, there's a lot of debate about what kind of a God is this who, who curses trees like that? Well, who made it? He has the right to do whatever he wants to. But what's interesting about this passage is that we know that at this time, figs were actually not in season. There would have been no figs on any trees, but there would have been something else. It's kind of a pre-fruit. It's, the, the Arabs called it a, a tahsh. It's a pre-fruit that grows. There's a picture of one. And those are also edible. But every one of those represents a potential to become a fig. In fact, if you look at a tree and you see all this tasha on there, there's going to be a lot of fruit on that tree. But when he went to see this tree, he found only leaves. There weren't even any tash, which are edible. They could eat those as well. So when he looks at this tree, he sees it doesn't even have any potential for fruit. And so what good is it? So may you never bear fruit again. When he looks at us, his creation, he doesn't say that. He sees nothing but potential. You have Tosh all over you. (laughs) Okay? The difference is, if we live in too much fear, it, it won't grow. You have all kinds of potential. It's the Lord working that out in you and through you that it's going to grow. Even the earth obeys him. Scott mentioned this last week. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud. They brought a man who was blind to him from birth. He mixes the mud with his own saliva, and he puts it on the man's eyes, and he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Now, most other people, he just spoke to them. He said that the man's withered hand, he just spoke to the hand, and it was no longer withered. But he doesn't do this with this guy. He grabs some earth and he mixes it with spittle and, you know why he did that? I think he did that because when he looked at the man who had this bandage, lifted it up, he was born blind from birth. He didn't have any eyes. Jesus knew how to fix that. He did the same thing he did before. Back in Genesis, then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground. He just made eyes that the man was missing. And I'm just wondering when he did that, it must have brought back memories. 
and when he made an entire body out of the dust of the ground. This is our rabbi we follow. This is the man to whom we are disciples who thinks we can do what he does. And food obeys him. He took the five loaves and two fish that the boys brought, that Scott talked about. He gave thanks, broke the loaves. The disciples gave them to the people. And the number who wait was about 5,000 men, not including women. So probably, what, 10, 12, 15,000 people ate there. And what, the, what our master, our rabbi, is teaching us here is how to live. Let's go through that one step at a time. He started with what he had, which wasn't enough. And then he gave thanks for what he had, which wasn't enough. You see, until we become thankful for what we currently have, which is not enough, God won't multiply it. But the moment we begin to become thankful for what we currently have, which isn't enough, then God will take it and he's going to break it. And then he's going to multiply it so that we can give it to others and become a blessing to the world and there will still be leftovers. That's what our rabbi is teaching us how to live. What do you currently have that's not enough? Be thankful for that. And the fish obey him. If you ever need any extra money, just go tell the fish, go find some money for me. I found the money, and everything that God talks to obeys him. Everything in nature that Jesus spoke to obeyed him, and the reason for that is nature had no choice, because nature has no will. But everything about mankind's nature is actually to disobey the the word of God because we have choice. We are full of will. Or we could say we are willful. Or we could be willing. You choose. Many years ago I was in in a workshop and it dawned on me, all we do as Christians is we choose. Every day we're just choosing. We're choosers. Choose, choose, choose. God is pro-choice. You get to choose. You want to be willful and do it your way, or you don't want to be willing to let God do it his way. I love this movie, Bruce Almighty. I know it's not a theological movie, but there are little bits of truth that I love about this film. And if you haven't seen it before, this fellow named Bruce, who was a news broadcaster, was not happy with the way God was not answering his prayers. Bruce didn't feel as though he had enough And he wasn't thankful for what he had, and so he challenges God. And so God steps in to meet the challenge, and he gives Bruce all of his powers. And the problem is that, of course, Bruce uses all of the powers God gives him for himself, and he gets himself into some problems here. So I just want to show you this scene quickly. Take a closer walk with me. Let me explain the rules. Rules? Yeah, you left in such a rush, I didn't get a chance to explain Two extra fingers freak me out a little bit. <laughs> I just figured I'd get your attention. <laughs> I did the same thing to Gandhi. He didn't eat for three weeks. <laughs> anyway, here's the deal. You have all my powers. Use them any way you choose. There are only two rules. You can't tell anybody you're God. Believe me, you don't want that kind of attention. And you can't mess with free will. Uh-huh. Can I ask why? Yes, you can. That's the beauty of it. Enjoying your party? Nothing like spending quality time with great friends, huh? 
Grace left me. Yeah, I know. She'll take me back. She'll take me back, right? Would you take me back? How do you make somebody love you without affecting free will? Welcome to my world, son. You come up with an answer to that one, you let me know. I love that play on, the, on Bruce's girlfriend. Her name is Grace. And when he becomes willful, Grace leaves him. You may have had the same experience. When you became willful to do it your way, you're done not to experience God's grace as much. Today's passage is about water. Water obeys him. Jesus walks out onto the water to where the disciples are. And if you remember the passage, there's some things I want to point out to you here. It was already dark. The wind was blowing, which meant the waves had formed, and the disciples had already rowed three or four miles. So let's remember this. Jesus just didn't walk on the water. He walked at least three miles on the water doing a small craft advisory in the dark. (laughs) That's our rabbi, that's our master, who says we can live the way he lives. I know there's some sailors in the room who would probably be reluctant to go sailing in the dark without any sign of light anywhere, and Jesus still finds his disciples. No matter how dark it gets in your life, Jesus will find you. See, we tend to recall the miracles of Jesus to show how much power he had. But Jesus tended to use the miracles to show how little faith we have. With each miracle, people are amazed at and fearful of Jesus. And yet with each miracle, Jesus is amazed at and frustrated with the fear of his people. We were made for more than that. In the movie Coach Carter, it's about a man who, who takes over the high school boys basketball team. And he wants more for them than what they have, more than just being a good basketball team. He wants them to become real men. He wants them to be men who also appreciate the value of of learning. And so when he finds out that they aren't doing well in their school studies, he chains up the doors to the gym and there's no more basketball practice till their grades come up. And the community revolts and they cut the chains. The community just wanted a good basketball team. It's as though that was more important than these young boys become real men very similar to our enemy who doesn't want us to become real men and women of God, just be a good basketball team. And so he comes to the gym to expecting to see them practicing basketball, but instead they're all sitting there doing their studies in the gymnasium with teachers around tutoring them. All throughout the time he's working with these young boys, he keeps asking them the same question. What is your biggest fear? And, of course, being tough guys, street smart, they didn't have any fear. At least they didn't think so. But one of the boys figures it out. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically liberates others.
Sir, I just want to say thank you. You saved my life. Thank you, sirs. All of you. Jesus, I just want to thank you. You saved my life. See, we have been given power just like our rabbi has. He thinks we can live like him. We have been given light. We have been given love. We are his disciples. And when I saw that scene, it resonated with every molecule in my body. My biggest fear is perhaps I'm more powerful than I dare to believe. But we are his disciples. We go back to Genesis. The earth was tohu vavohu, without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Ruach Elohim was hovering over the face of the waters. The, in the Tanakh, the Jewish canon, the word Ruach generally means wind, breath, mind, or spirit. The Ruach imparts the divine image to man, and when applied to God, the word Ruach indicates creative activity. We're creators, we're builders. As well, we continue on in Genesis and we read that God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. We were made for more, there's more in store for us. When Jesus demonstrates mastery over nature, he just speaks directly to it and it always obeys him. However, when Jesus speaks to men, they don't always obey him. Remember, he, they bring a leper, a leper comes to him and he heals the leper. And then he gives a very distinct command. He says to him in a stern warning, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. After sternly warning, it wasn't like, Hey, can you keep this on the down low? You know, if it, would, it would be helpful if you didn't tell everybody. He doesn't say that. It's a direct command. He said to the wind, be calm, and it's calm. And he says to this man, tell no one. And of course, what happens? He goes out and begins to proclaim it freely. This is, this is God giving a direct command to a human being, and he doesn't obey him. Fortunately, we're not like that. That's why Jesus prayed for people. Because even though he'd give them a direct command, they wouldn't obey, so he prays for them. In fact, that's why Jesus still prays for us today. Did you know that? In Hebrews 7, it says, Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for us right now. I wonder what he's praying for. I think maybe he might be praying for us to not be so fearful, but to live in love. Water is interesting. It's the only substance we know of that exists in all three forms. It could be a solid, a liquid, or a gas. And you remember when Jesus approaches the boat, Peter says, call me out. And Peter walks on the water too. Sometimes we overlook that. We focus on the part where he sinks. But he did walk on the water a little bit, Right? And when he began to become fearful, I think the water senses his fear and begins, it begins to pull him down. It begins to take over. Water was the very thing that should have swallowed Jesus up, but instead it held him up. 
I wish someone would have been there when Jesus stepped out on the water to hear what he would have said. It's not recorded. We don't know. But he must have said something, right? He said that the wind be still. I wonder what he said when he stepped out. I think maybe he said, hold me up. And guess what the water did? It obeyed him. It held him up. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but there may be some people here who have a situation that feels like it's swallowing you up. You might feel a little bit overwhelmed about what's going on in your life and you have no control and you pray about it and pray about it and it still seems to swallow you up. But let's do what our master did, what our master taught us. Speak to that situation and tell it to hold you up. The very thing that's trying to swallow you up, if you speak to it and tell it to hold you up, will become the very thing that becomes your blessing. How many of you have had that experience, a thing that seemed to be a curse turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to you? So when you speak like our rabbi spoke to that which is drowning you right now, it will respond to you. You know why? Because you are a disciple of the Most High King, of the Eternal God, of the One who is most powerful and all-loving. We were made and created for that purpose. And in that, we bring glory to God. We're designed to live in love, in light, and in power. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for inviting us to be not only your children, but your disciples. We thank you, Father, for your eternal patience with us as we continue to learn not only to have you as our Savior and our Lord, but as our friend, and to move into this place and position as your children of the King that we can move into this place where our hearts are so filled with love, our minds are so filled with your word, that we learn how to walk in beauty and peace, in calmness, in confidence, and compassion for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.